This is the Changemaker Forum Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number five of the Changemaker Forum Podcast. My name is Jeremy Brown, founder of Startups Give Back, and your host for today's episode. If you're in the tech industry, even if you're not, chances are you've heard about the lack of diversity in the industry. There's a severe shortage of women in tech. Traditionally, the industry itself has been male-heavy. Thankfully, things are starting to change. Discussions are taking place, awareness is being built, and action is being taken. There's still a ton of work to do to close the gender gap, but luckily, there are individuals and companies out there that are being proactive about finding solutions. My guest today happens to be one of those individuals who are on the front lines trying to solve this issue. Michelle Glosser is the founder and CEO of Tectonica. She has a very unique background, which includes creating a viral campaign centered around software engineers that really shed light on the diversity issues and also pave the way for Tectonica's birth. So with that being said, this is a great episode. I've been looking forward to it forever in a day. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the episode. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So before we get into Tectonica, what it is, um, and how people can get involved, what I would really like to do is take a step back and look back at your own experiences and basically your own life pre-Tectonica. So can you give us a quick background or summary of um, who Michelle is and how you got to this point? Yeah. Uh, who is Michelle? So I grew up in Salt Lake in a big blue collar family and uh, ended up going to college there to save some money. And then after that, I worked at a library and just loved that. But I decided I wanted to learn some German and I found out that education is nice and cheap in Germany. So I did my master's there in digital humanities. I wrote a thesis about mommy bloggers. And then I moved to California to Sunnyvale and uh, ended up working in San Francisco for a startup. And that's when I first uh, found out about tech. Um, so I lived in Germany. I also ended up living in China and London for a little bit a few years ago. And now I'm back in San Francisco. What was your role at the startup? <laughs> Pretty much everything except for software engineering. Jack of all trades or Jill of all trades, if I should say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so, but, one thing... uh, so now I, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. After you. Oh, I was just going to say, um, before I even started Tectonica, I started doing a lot of community organizing. So I'm also on the leadership team of Diversity Advocates, and I am the head of Pi Lady San Francisco, and then I run an alumni group for the coding class that I did to become a software engineer. So we, when you and I first met um, uh, at the volunteering activity at Tectonica, you mentioned that... Uh, you're one of the brains, or I don't know if it's you're the brain or one of the brains behind the I Look Like an Engineer ad campaign. And yeah. I remember seeing that across Twitter and other sources as well. Uh, I was wondering if you can describe what that campaign is all about and how it got started. Sure. Uh, 
yeah, so 2015, it was August. I was uh, working for a little startup and my husband told me that his coworker was on some recruiting ads for them to get some more engineers. And people immediately started reacting to these ads that were in the BART stations and saying, oh, she doesn't look like an engineer uh, and a lot of other rude things. Um, and I just felt so much for her. So I reached out and said, hey, Solidarity, wouldn't it be cool if we put up billboards in response to that? And she said, I like where your mind's at, but I think you're going to explode the internet. Uh, why don't we just have a hashtag and like post pictures of ourselves? So we did. And then I shared what we were doing with a whole bunch of different groups that I had involvement in. And within a few hours, the hashtag went viral. So it seemed pretty obvious then that we could do the billboards. So we put together, along with the help of a lot of other grassroots people who hopped in, uh, a crowdfunding campaign and an event and we raised money and took pictures of underrepresented engineers and ended up putting up ads around the Bay Area showing them with the hashtag. So, yeah. So safe to say you did, in fact, explode the Internet. <laughs> yeah, it happened anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I remember seeing that campaign all across Twitter. Um, and just the yeah. the amount of people that were engaged in the uh, the campaign itself was really remarkable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I was blown away by it myself. I had no idea it was going to take off that quickly. And uh, yeah, I was fortunate to have a very understanding boss. I just said, "Hey, this thing happened, and it might be a while <laughs> until I get back to my work." So, yeah. It's amazing how, how virality works, right? You never know when it's going to take place, but when it does, you know, it's, it's an amazing feeling depending on, you know, mm -hmm. what the actual. Depending on is. why. <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, so one question that I like to ask social entrepreneurs is this, uh, what is one problem as it relates to your own experiences and even your work with Tectonica that you believe is worth solving and why? Yeah. Uh, so the tricky thing about that is, that what I'm focused on is solving many problems, it feels to me. So uh, I'm kind of going to break that up into a couple of problems, I think. Uh, first of all, I think income inequality is such a problem. There's just not the right opportunity for everyone. Uh, and in the Bay Area, it's so visible, especially in San Francisco. Uh, and every other place in the Bay Area, really, because as housing gets more expensive and the cost of living goes up, more and more people are having to leave or live in really undesirable living conditions, um, or they have to work multiple jobs and never see their families. Uh, yeah, so I think that's a huge problem, and I would like to bring some more equality as far as class and race go, um, and everything else. But those are big things that I focus on. And then on the other hand, I feel like the tech industry is lacking so much diversity and the very people who are struggling to stay in the Bay Area are the people who are underrepresented in tech. So I feel like those are two problems that should be solved at once by providing training to the people in danger of displacement so that they can work in tech jobs that provide a more sustainable living. That's a perfect segue into uh, what Tectonica is um, and 
its mission. So can you get into that and explain what it is and, and how it got started and what the mission is? Let me back up before I even say what it is and say that uh, I became a software engineer in 2012, so almost six years ago now. And it was something that I wasn't even sure what it was, but I had looked at the engineers working with me and thought, what they're doing is so cool. I want to learn how to do that. And also, I can't pay my rent and they can. How do they do that? (laughs) So I Googled and found uh, this new coding boot camp thing that no one knew about yet. And I applied and got in and couldn't afford the tuition. So I told my boyfriend, let's just get married next month and ask everyone we know for money. And that's how I'll pay my tuition. And it ended up working out really well because I loved the program. And within a couple of weeks of graduating, I had uh, a new job and I tripled my income. And I just marveled at this adult stability thing that I hadn't really experienced. And so ever since then, I've tried to get more underrepresented people to join tech because it was so empowering for me. And then uh, because of all the problems I was mentioning about income inequality, I felt like well, we should get that training to those people. And then, um, so I've been kind of thinking about all of this for several years. And then when the I Look Like an Engineer ad campaign happened, I felt like it was really good at starting a conversation and inspiring people, but it kind of fell short a step. It didn't actually change anyone's life. And I felt like it was so important to, or it felt really great to do something I was so passionate about, but I wanted to take it the next step. So. Um, after that happened and it was successful and I survived, I thought I can do hard things and I want to do this other thing. So I started doing coding workshops to see if there was interest and making sure that we did it at labs so they were accessible and provided lunch and childcare. And it really seemed like there was an interest there. So I started Tectonica as a nonprofit. Uh, we are fiscally sponsored and basically our main program is to have a six-month apprenticeship program that's full-time training that includes living and childcare stipends that's specifically for local women and non-binary adults with low incomes. And then at the end of the training, we place the participants with the companies that sponsor training. So they have their first step into tech, even though they don't have that big tech network yet. So yeah, there you go. There's the long answer. And you just had a demo day. So can you tell me a little bit about that? I was bummed that I wasn't able to make that. We did. Uh, So our first six-month apprentices are graduating on Wednesday. And we didn't have quite enough sponsors to place everyone. And so I said, great, here's what we're going to do. We will have a demo day and allow you to show your projects even before we get to graduation so that we can invite some recruiters and have them come and hopefully love everything you talked about and then uh, get some interviews set up and hopefully they'll be able to get their companies involved as sponsors. We had it at Chart Boost, which was very nice of them. And we just had the apprentices go through and demo their projects. And then we mingled after that and got like exchanged cards. And yeah, it was basically a practice for our graduation. We're going to do the same thing. But yeah, that one was more of a focus on getting a couple more companies to sponsor. 
That's amazing. Um, is there any other projects that you can share publicly? Uh, you don't have to obviously name names or be too specific, but I'd be interested to to hear whether or not there were any interesting projects that really caught your eye or anything like that. Yes. Oh my gosh, there's so many cool ones. Where do I even start? I think the one that really blows people away every time is Stephanie's. So she grew up fearing that her parents would be deformed deported basically and uh, she decided that she wanted to build an alert system for people to let others know about ice raids or checkpoints that are happening because uh, people had already kind of spread the word among the community as they could but often when they wanted to spread it farther on social media they didn't feel like they could because it's not anonymous and so she built this platform so they can submit those things and warn each other. And it grabs the, it uses the Mapbox API to then map out where things are happening so people can avoid them. So I think that one's so cool. Talia, she's an artist. She's a rapper and also the mother of three children. And she said, no one, like there's no one place for artists in San Francisco to share their creative content and to share when they're going to have a performer performance or whatever. So she built Frisco rap scene for that purpose. Zen Zen wanted to play with the data for housing costs in the Bay area and found this data from 1975 to now for the whole U S and just visualized it. So you can see where things jump and you can break it down by state or by city, uh, so that's pretty cool. Zaire wanted a thing that would tell you how much time you have left on your calendar each week and then make it easy for you to just uh, schedule workouts so that you can keep working out while you're busy with everything else. Uh, and that's called workout time. So yeah, those are some of the really cool ones, I think. That's amazing. So sticking to, uh, you, and you had mentioned uh, the uh, gender gap in tech. How do we yes. fix that? I know that's it's it's a question that you know has been debated forever today. It seems like now, uh, but how do we fix that gap? What are some of the things that we need to do? Um, I'd be curious to hear from your perspective since you're, you're kind of knee deep in it. And I'm wondering if you have seen any uh, projects, any companies that are really doing some remarkable work in that space of really kind of shrinking that gap. Yeah. It's a huge problem. It's so, so huge. Uh, and I would say it's even, you know, it's even bigger if you extend it to every other demographic that's underrepresented in tech. Um, and I will say that I don't think Tectonica is the only solution at all. I think this is a problem that has to be tackled from a lot of different directions. Uh, and a lot of people will say, it's not a pipeline problem. It's not that there aren't enough people, it's that there's bias in the interview process and discrimination once people make it in that makes them leave. Uh, so yeah, I think we just have to tackle it at every single level. Um, but unless you have the top leaders on board to do that, nothing happens and nothing will change. So I really like what Project Include is doing uh, to make sure the CEOs and other C-level folks have better ideas about things that they need to encourage to happen in their companies in order to build more diversity and inclusion. Uh, it's funny because I feel like 
every time I hear of a company that's doing really well with diversity and inclusion, some terrible thing will happen there later. And everyone will be, there will be this uproar in the DNI space of people like, oh, I thought they were doing so well and this happened. Um, so I will say that it's the companies that don't brag so much about all of their DNI initiatives who are really doing the best, which then makes it hard to know which ones those are. So I, I know that I'm every single person I've ever met in tech who's underrepresented in some way likes to have access to some sort of whisper network so that we can let each other know, oh, you should probably avoid this company and specifically this team or um, that one wasn't so great a couple years ago, but it seems like they've made some progress. Maybe we should try it again. Uh, yeah. So I ones that I will give special shout outs to now that I think are doing pretty great. Clover Health has been awesome. They um, they quietly host PyLadies weekly study groups every single week. And they've done that for, I think, more than two years now. Uh, and they have donated to Tectonica a couple of times, which is super nice. So I definitely want to make sure people know about them. They're really great. Any other companies jump to mind? Yeah, so I will... I mean, the companies that were so easy to sign on to support Tectonica, that is always a very good sign. So uh, Pantheon is really great. They were our very first sponsor and they're uh, right in Chinatown, which is pretty cool. And then uh, Ancestry is also really great. They are, I think their headquarters is in Utah, but they are, they have a big office here in San Francisco too. Kind of taking a, a a different angle um, to what you're doing right now, and, and one thing I enjoy doing when I get a chance to talk to social entrepreneurs is to learn about their experiences uh, of being a social entrepreneur. Um, so I'm curious to hear uh, uh, if you've had any lessons that you've learned while building Tectonica. Oh, so many lessons. <laughs> One thing I always love to tell people who ask about starting a nonprofit themselves is fiscal sponsorship. I don't think enough people know about it. It's basically an umbrella organization that already has 501c3 nonprofit status with the government, and they um, kind of lend you their nonprofit status, and you become a project of theirs technically on paper. Uh, and then they usually take a percentage of all of your donations and then provide some other services. It depends on the fiscal sponsor. Um, but I found out about this when I was about to start Tectonica and it just seemed like such a great advantage to be able to start something immediately and see if it worked out before doing all of the paperwork and spending all of the money to start an official nonprofit that was independent. Uh, so I did a bunch of research. I scraped this online directory that was really terrible and put it into a Google spreadsheet and just started narrowing down fiscal sponsors and ended up selecting one that had a lower than usual uh, percentage that they take. So they take 8%. It's social good fun. And the great thing is they provide us with uh, all of their accounting and tax uh 
like all they do all of that they handle it so I don't have to worry about it which is really I just love it and I think more and more fiscally sponsored organizations are opting to stay fiscally sponsored even once they become more sustainable and independent just because it's such a great advantage to have that all taken care of already so that's one thing I think everyone should know about and I wish I had understood what that looked like earlier because I was so confused at first by how that would work that I just did a ton of research and spent months thinking about it. That's the thing um, about running a, an organization or a nonprofit is if you're a, a one-person show, there's a lot to do. So that's that's a very a good so point much. that you're making about yeah. fiscal sponsorship. Yeah, it's great. I love it. And I know that the fiscal sponsor I selected now has more, has so many projects signed up, which is just really great. It seems like that's uh, making their services to Tectonica be stronger because they have had enough people sign on to be able to provide more consistent service and hire some more people to make everything run smoothly. So yeah, I really like it. What other lessons have you learned? Yeah. Um, Oh, I will say get everything in writing always. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And I think, you know, I already knew that, but I, there were just a few times where I didn't think about it for some reason. And if I could go back, I would just change that because it caused more problems than I should have been dealing with. Uh, I also want to tell people that I I guess everyone wants to think that if you fill out a grant application and you are doing something really amazing and the application has all the right answers that you're going to get the grant. But it turns out it's, it feels like to me anyway, that the nonprofit sector is very, uh, it's very old fashioned compared to what I'm used to in tech and people are so much more likely to get grants if they know the right people who are working at the foundations. Uh, And that's been really hard for me because I don't know the right people and I don't even know the right people who know the right people. So (laughs) I've been trying slowly to build up that network, uh, but yeah, we haven't had a lot of success on the grant front and that has been really hard. Um, also, it's not worth it to, like sometimes the grant application requirements are just over the top and it'll take you weeks of work to get them finished. And then in the end, they'll, like the chances are so low that you get nothing or you get like 50 bucks or something. Uh, don't spend your time on those. It's not worth it. <laughs> Um, so for those who have not gone through the grant process, can you describe what that process is? Oof. Uh, it depends on the foundation or whatever, whoever's providing the grant. But uh, often it's just this long application where they ask questions like, what is the problem that you want to fix? And how are you going to fix it? And who is, who is your founder? Why did you start? How many people have you helped so far? Um, who's on your team? Who's on your board? Who are your partners? Where have you gotten money before? 
what plans do you have for the next two years? What does your budget look like? Uh, just a million questions. The problem is every grant has different questions and every grant has different uh, length requirements. So sometimes they'll say, tell us about your solution to the problem in, I don't know, like 500 words. And then another one will say, tell us about it in 30 characters. <laughs> so you can't just have this one doc that like has all the answers and you can just like copy paste them every time. We do have a doc like that, but it has a million versions of every answer and it's kind of a, an overwhelming mess. Well, it's not a mess really because it's kind of organized, but it's very, very long and very overwhelming. And uh, it's just so frustrating that they don't all just use the same application process. Uh, and that so much of it is about who you already know and which relationships have already been made with different organizations. So, yeah. <laughs> Good luck with those. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, so I went to an event uh, this past Wednesday um, at Google's community space in San Francisco. And, oh, yeah, I like that place. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice place. And so the topic was the future of social impact. And, uh, you know, during the, the course of the, the, the speakers, uh, one question kept popping into my mind, um, and it was, you know, how do we fix the process of fundraising because every social entrepreneur that I talked to that has gone through the grant making process or grant uh, uh, process, or is just trying to you know do fundraising, maybe not even through grants, but some other mechanism, it's a frustrating process. Um, and there yeah. doesn't seem to be a very streamlined way, uh, or I should say consistent way that people can count on that's going right. to enable them to raise the, the funds that they need in order to really help accelerate their impact. Um, and so you've gone through this process a couple of times. Uh, so I'm curious, uh, based off of your own experiences, how do you think we should fix the fundraising process or at least a grant making process? Ooh, um, so I really like that some foundations are moving their application process to be on F6S because I think it's a good way to kind of streamline it. But they still have different questions and different character requirements. So it's nice that I can log in there and already have, like be familiar with the platform and know how this is all gonna work, but it would be even better if they all just kind of had the same question and length. Uh, I guess we need this enormous symposium where people can just like throw out all the questions they've ever asked and then have a day to like put them all into one question or like, multiple questions that aren't overlapping. Uh, that would be so cool. I doubt it will happen, but yeah. <laughs> that would be really amazing. That would be amazing. Um, and I also, was... sorry, I was just going to add that I feel like uh, so many times I've said, oh, well, this foundation is focused on exactly what we do. This is perfect for us. Let's Let's reach out to them. And then we'll find out that they don't take any incoming messages or something uh, like they only reach out to people they already know about grants. And I'm like, how is that fair? How are you supposed to even build that relationship if they only talk to organizations they already know about? How are they going to find out about new ones? So that should go away too. <laughs> That's frustrating. Mm-hmm. 
And you mentioned, so it was F6S? Yes. So F6S is like a platform. I think it was originally built for like, um, like startup weekend type thing. So when people have an idea of a company they want to start, they can put it on there and reach out for investment on there. Uh, but I've seen a few nonprofits or foundations start to put stuff on there, which is pretty cool. So now switching gears, uh, what are you most proud of when it comes to what you've built at Tectonica? Honestly, the last few weeks, I've just been so, so proud of the participants and all the progress that they've made uh, and that we've even gotten this far. I just can't even believe it some days. Uh, the day that I was going to announce the first placement to the participants, I was biking to work like I do every morning and I just had to stop for a second and I just got kind of teary-eyed thinking, after all of this work for three years, I'm finally going to place someone like this will change her life. And it was just so meaningful to me. And I just, I'm so proud of them. We have had so many, so, so many bumps and they just stuck it out and learned a ton and figured out how to make it work. And I, every time they demo, I just am so excited to see how far they've come. I, even had a moment last week where they were demoing and after one of the apprentices finished talking about her project, she also shared a little bit about the tech stack she used. And I just had to pause, stop her a second after she finished that sentence and say, hold on, six months ago, you wouldn't have been able to say that sentence. Like there were so many tech buzzwords in there that you wouldn't have ever even said that six months ago. And that was just such a cool moment. It makes me really proud. How many apprentices have you been able to place so far? Uh, six out of eight. So we just need two more partners. I've been pushing as hard as I can. Uh, if we do not end up finding the last two, then I'll just keep helping them prepare for interviews and connect them as much as I can. I've lined up a bunch of practice interviews just this week for them. So hopefully we can figure something out. So speaking of partners, um, how can companies get involved? You know, let's say a, a company wants to uh, work with you um, and potentially take on one of the apprentices. How, you know, how, what's that process like and how can they get involved? Yeah, they can just reach out. My email is michelleglauser at tectonica.org. There's also an info at tectonica.org email address on our website. Um, but there's a whole sponsor page on the website that links to a really helpful info sheet they can take a look at. Um, it has a picture of each of the apprentices with a link to their profiles, a little video about how it works, and then a breakdown of the sponsor levels. So um, that would be the main way, like reach out, we'll have a conversation, and I can tell you about all the different levels. Uh, and we can figure out what works best for you. Or we, a lot of the time, the way companies have gotten involved is because we had an individual who has signed up as a volunteer. And then once they've gotten involved and seen how much they love the participants and love the program, they go to their companies and say, hey, we need to get involved with this. We need to support it. Uh, so that's another way we take donations right on the website. But basically, if companies want to support us, we 
love that and we will sing your praises put your logo ever, everywhere we can and what about individual volunteers how can they get involved yeah there's a link to sign up as a volunteer on the main page of our website and it is a whole google form so right after you fill it out i'm i get a notification and i can see what your different skills are and then i can reach out to you when we have needs for people with those specific skills are there any skills that are a higher priority than others it depends on the time uh we definitely have the overwhelming amount of our volunteers are software engineers and that's likely just because that's what my network is mostly made up of uh but yeah, it, it depends. I would say if we have an event coming up, we often need people who are willing to just do event stuff, like check people in, or if you're a photographer, you could come photograph our event. Uh, but often, I, I would say the biggest needs are the administrative kind of boring type things, which is so hard to give to volunteers because no one wants to spend their Tuesday night like answering emails or something. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's a big need. So usually when people are willing to do that stuff, I'll hand them that and then try to mix in something that's a little more personal as well. So they have a nice mix. Uh, people always love to meet our apprentices every time someone comes in and meets them and then maybe helps answer some technical questions or whatever. They're just so excited to have spent that time with them. And I don't blame them. They are pretty awesome. So I've had the fortunate opportunity to actually volunteer at Tectonica, and I will say um, yes. the activities that volunteers can actually do, while it may be, it may, some might consider it boring, um, you know, it's all for a good cause. Um, and especially if you're in tech, you know, right. the, the problems that are running rampant in that industry. And so it's all for a good cause. So um, I definitely recommend that folks, uh, whether you're in tech or not in tech, um, go to Tectonica and actually volunteer because it's a lot of fun. You get to meet Michelle too. She's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so in terms of Tectonica, where, where do things go from here? Um, is there anything in the pipeline uh, that you're interested in sharing publicly? Yes. Oh, we just made some big decisions this week. Uh yeah, so we want to make absolutely sure that we can start the next class with enough funding and with enough pre-committed hiring companies so that we have someone for everyone. Uh, because this was our first class, we wanted, we just kind of took that leap of faith and hoped we could get together enough. But for the next one, we want to make sure we're ready before we even start. And I'm hopeful that once we can give people some numbers, like these are the people we placed, this is what the ratings look like and everything. Uh, it'll be a little easier to get people on board. So we decided looking at the next year that our deadline to raise enough funding and find enough hiring partners is October 12th. So as soon as this one is done and everyone's graduated and working or interviewing, uh, I'll be doing a lot of follow-up with companies that told us to reach out about our next cohort. Um, and then we're planning our annual fundraiser for October 6th, uh, which is a Saturday. So it'll be kind of a brunch fundraiser. And if we make our deadline, then we'll start our rigorous application process and 
uh, start the next cohort in January. So they will be placed in June. Perfect. How many uh, individuals are typically in a cohort? Uh, so this one, we have eight, but hopefully for the next one, we can do something more like 12 to 15. So last question for you, Michelle. Uh, so where can people learn more about you as well as Tectonica? Yeah, so uh, there's a lot about me on LinkedIn and on michelleglauser.com. <laughs> and then for Tectonica, there's tectonica.org, which has a lot of information. And then we're very, very active on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and I even had our summer high school intern convince me that we should do Instagram. So we started that like three days ago. <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah, so amazing. But you can definitely find a ton of information on our website. I'm always happy to answer questions if you want to do, use the contact form. And then we take donations on the website too. Perfect. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to volunteer more at Tectonica and I have high hopes that uh, that gender gap in tech will be solved. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Changemaker Forum podcast. I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you did, it would be amazing if you shared it on your favorite social network, whether that's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or something else. So with that being said, stay tuned for the next episode.